a handful of folks that will be coming in. We've got a couple of folks that were watching the baptism that should be coming in. A, a few folks that uh, are in the praise band coming in. So don't let those things distract you uh, from the from the effort. Uh, don't be surprised if you could pass those out and then leave the extras back in that area. That would be great. <coughs> Well, since you asked so nicely. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, yes. yes. You can't punch me in the stomach. Um, and uh, Brandon, are we good? Are we recording already? Oh, so I shouldn't have said what I just said? Oh, okay. So, um, continuing our study and the lessons from Jesus' questions, I... Um, I plan several weeks in advance for these, or at least try to plan. I do trust the Lord to, to prepare the timing and some of those things. Sometimes they end up shifting through the course of, of the week. Um, but as we as we're we're not coasting into the end of our of our series, but I, I am trying to prepare you for the end of this series, and that we will be um, you know seeing the the horizon on it. Um, I think there is, Michelle, are there, it looks like Dennis is looking for writing utensils. I don't know if there's some along the back or maybe he found some. And that we, we propped the door open to get a cross breeze. I know it's a little warm. We'll work through that to the best of our abilities. But, um, but Mark chapter 4, it's on, your, um, it's on your handout. Mark chapter 4. And he said, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? And obviously Jesus continues, so this would have been in red, but we call out the questions. It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the earth is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it groweth up and becometh greater than all herbs and shooteth out great branches so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. So um, we're going to talk today about how we would liken, uh, where and to shall we liken the kingdom and what shall we compare it. We're going to talk more about comparisons. I know we've done that in, in several of the studies, uh, but we're going to continue that uh, function here today with a little bit different twist on that. Why a mustard, why a mustard seed? Why did Jesus uh, use that? Now, I'm, I am just going to touch on here. This is not the same as having faith as a mustard seed, right? That's the one that we kind of maybe if, if you were thinking about a mustard seed, your brain might have gone there. This is actually different than that. Jesus is comparing the kingdom of God, and we'll see ultimately the kingdom of heaven as well, to a mustard seed. So this is a different context than having the faith, little faith of a mustard seed. And then, uh, so why a mustard seed? And then principles from the seeds that have to do with this context again, versus the context of having faith as a mustard seed. So our first, our series study point, and I believe your first couple fill in the blanks, comparison is the simplest and most common form of teaching in Scripture. It's the simplest and most common. You know, I heard on a, on a podcast, some of you may listen to Theology Roundtable, that uh, I was listening to it this week, and, and um, 
Man, I'm catching up. It wasn't this last. It wasn't this last week's uh, podcast. But, but God is is pleased by using the foolishness or the simpleness of teaching. It is doesn't have to be brought with intellectual superiority. It doesn't have to be brought with some some magnificent angle. Matter of fact, I would argue people that feel like they need to do that are are going to create more problems for themselves. Just let the scripture speak for itself. It is simple. It is straightforward. It is not complex. Otherwise, that puts salvation, that puts spiritual growth on a plane for only the intellects or the academians, right? Everyone, including a child, can come to the Lord, right? That pattern is very clear in Scripture. So it's not, it doesn't have to be simple. I think as adults and sometimes as as people who maybe have been saved or try to grow in in their relationship with the Lord, they feel like they need to come with a new thing. They need to come with something, some, some whiz-bang, some wow factor. No, the reality is the wow factor is applying the simple things into our lives, right? And so it's the simplest form. It's just comparing two things, right? And it's uh, to liken or compare, or c- uh, comparison. Now the principle here, so that's one of your blanks as well, the principle first uh, from uh, Romans one twenty says, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. So you can understand the invisible concepts of God. How? They're being understood by the things that are made. He puts patterns of himself into his creation. You can say that he did that to teach us. I think it's also a manifestation of just who he is. It just flows out of him. Even his eternal power and Godhead. And why does he do that? So people are without excuse. right? They're without excuse because if he can teach through simplicity, if he can teach through principles, through basic concepts, again, anyone can understand it. And then there's a practice that applies as well. The practice, fill in, fill in your blank there. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Which things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teacheth, Right? So it's not just man's wisdom that, like, like, honestly, if you were to look at my notes, they're not that impressive. The amount of time I spend in studying this is significant, but mostly because I'm trying to boil down the stuff that I think the Lord's trying to teach. Not because, like, I have a, a you know, a joke with the guy, not because I have a murder wall where I've got, do you know what I mean by a murder wall? Like, you know, where, with all the, you know, like, I, I, like it's not that complicated. It doesn't, it, that didn't help works. It's not that complicated. Now, I study, and we need to study, and we're going to get into some, some depth uh, this morning, but, 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 but don't let depth surpass simplicity. So how does he do it? Not with words, uh, uh, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. How does he do it? Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Okay, so we can we can learn from physical, but we need to prove things out comparing spiritual with spiritual. There, and how does that work? Well, in the in the mouth of two or three witnesses. So there is never a doctrine, there is never a teaching that stands completely alone in Scripture. If you come across a script a scripture reference and it seems to be obscure, it seems to be out there teaching a new doctrine. Well, with all due respect, you probably are drawing the wrong conclusion. It should match up, it should line up in the breadth of teaching, in the breadth of all of Scripture. He compares uh, spiritual things with spiritual. 
So, the word like, now Grant, I didn't, I didn't take the time, I have a computer program that, that told me that, but uh, I didn't take the time, sometimes like means it's, it's being compared, sometimes like means I like it, so, but I didn't break it down, so I put a lot, like there's the word like, comparing this is like that happens a lot in scripture. There are some synonyms in scripture that are come from the same Greek and Hebrew words. Form, image, similitude, similitude, likeness, right? Those words are also translated into the English or the Greek and Hebrew words are translated into English in that form so that you can make comparison, right? And it's very interesting the first mention the first mention of this is actually in tw- only 26 verses into Scripture. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Like us. Now, does that make us gods? No. It makes us like him. Right? It makes us like him. Not we like God, although we should like God. It makes us like God in certain ways. Okay? So... Um, there are some, some, some fundamental premises here. So a like, a con- a like can, can, can actually create a contrast. Notice that thou, in, in Exodus 8.10, that thou mayest know that there is none like unto the Lord our God. Right. So when they were going through the process of proving out and and the uh, the what's the word after miracles, right? And and is that that's not the word. Um, what are the the plagues and what's the word I'm after? The plagues, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The plagues that did, did not sound right in the synapses of my brain. So when that's all happening, why does God do that? So so that we can see there is no God like our God. Okay? There's no God like our God. There were things that, that they were able to replicate, some of it, but not all of it. Right? Because there's no one like our God. It also sh- it can prove out counterfeits. Exodus 7.10 Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and sorcerers, just touched on us, now the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. So this, we're not going to spend a ton of time here, it's another message, another time, on how you prove those things out, but look, it's similar. They were able to do some of those things. Right? And then ultimately, it uncovers. Notice in Exodus 16, 31. Um, and the house of Israel called the name thereof manna, and it was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. If you've ever wondered what manna tastes like, well, he tells you. It's like coriander seed, or it looks like coriander seed. White, but what, like white coriander seed. Like you could, you could pull up coriander seed right now on your phone, or at least an image of it. And that's what manna looked like. But it was white. Like, it's just right there in scriptures. Do you, do you trust or not? What, well, what, what did it taste like? Well, it tastes like wafers, wafers made with honey. It's kind of what it tastes like. I mean, God does. He uncovers things that, you know, people are, well, if I could just only replicate manna. Well, we know what it, what it looked like. We know what it tastes like because he uses the word like. He uncovered that. And then he connects, connects certain things, right? For we have not an high priest in Hebrews 4.15, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. 
right? So there's a connection there. And then it also correlates. I, I just was on a roll with C's. So it correlates... <laughs> 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, now are, we the, uh, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we, shall be, uh, what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. There's at least going to be some sort of connection, some sort of similarity in our bodies and Christ's when he returns, because we're going to be able to see him like he, or as he is. Right? So there's a, a, a correlation there. So you've, some of you have already flipped over your, your page, and that's fine. You got ahead of me just about a few seconds. That's okay. No, no judgment. But what we're going to do is we're going to break up for the next, uh, I would like to do maybe 10 minutes or so. We're going to break up into groups, no more than four. I will come around. If I see a group of five, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Preferably no more than four. Break up in groups. I would like everyone to have a phone with an app or a way, blueletterbible.com, some way that you can do some sort of search. If you don't have that, it's not the end of the world. Scripture is sufficient in and of itself. I, here's the assignment. Here's the assignment. I want you to find a scripture with a comparison in it. And then I want you to answer the three questions. What are the two things being compared? In what ways are they similar? And in what ways does the similarity break down? There's a, because they're different things, so that means at some point the similarity breaks down. Are you with me? Does that make sense? Then you can open up your Bible and go... And you're going to be close. And I'm, and I'm serious. It's that prevalent in Scripture. Proverbs and Psalms, you're not going to go wrong. Okay? Proverbs and Psalms, if you don't have a specific place, some of you might already think, have been, think, think of one. Right? There's a song that, yeah, as the deer panteth for the, uh, for the waters, so my soul longeth after thee. It doesn't have to be the word like, but there's a comparison, right? As the deer panteth for the waters, so my soul longeth that. So it's a comparison. The deer looking for water, my soul longing for God, right? You with me? They're all over scripture. If you have any trouble finding one, huh? Right, 832. Yeah, so uh, at least if my app was the same as yours. So, but, so, so go ahead and break up. Just raise your hand or get my attention if you need any help. But uh, seriously, try to do fairly small groups. Uh, maybe connect with somebody you don't know. If you if you see somebody that's new, make sure they feel welcome. Okay? So, go.
because I want because we're gonna we're gonna talk about the group the what what you all uncovered, and I want your groups to support you. Okay, I want your groups to support you in this. All right, so does anyone want to go first, sharing what they learned? <laughs> no one wants. Okay. Our group in the far back left, stage left. Um, we did Psalms 36 Okay. And it says, The righteousness is like the great mountains, thy judgments are so great and deep, O Lord, thou preservest man and beast. Well, we were talking about righteousness and the great mountains as being the two comparisons, and that it's um, a mountain is so big and, you know, so big and great. Okay, it's never ending, and so so good. Great comparison, righteousness and a mountain. I think when I think of that, and and just off the cuff, I'm just adding to it. I think of like it's a journey, right? Like it's going to take work to get to the top of the mountain or up the mountain, right? Right. It's not you don't just get like that to the top of a mountain. I mean, we have righteousness in Christ immediately, but the journey of purging things out of our life and growing in our walk is is you know, takes time. All right, cool. Next group. I, I am going to get to all of you, so, like, okay, over here. Our verse was John one thirty two, and John bear record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove. Okay, so the I'm going to repeat it for folks online. Spirit descending from heaven like a dove. Okay. So, uh, basically, uh, from there, uh, Genesis 8-8, uh, where it talks about the Spirit being over the water. And then if you look at, uh, basically, when Noah released the dove over the water. Um, and then there's also like a wind connection. So like the Spirit is often referred to as the wind. Okay. And the dove and travels the over travels the wind. Travels on wind. Okay. Uh, and then if you look at Psalms 55.6, uh, where it talks about um, asking, you know, being, you know, he basically is saying, hey, if I could be a dove so I could fly away and be at rest, and then the Holy Spirit is our comfort. Okay. And so... Um, All good similarities. Where does it break, where does the, sorry, where does it break down? At what point does the spirit and dove illustration not continue? So there are quite a few differences. Obviously, the spirit is not a physical right. thing. Um, the spirit is not delicious, as you said earlier. Yeah, I mentioned that doves are yummy. You can't eat a spirit. Uh, uh, yeah, the Holy Spirit doesn't have wings or feet. Doesn't have wings, feet, or a beak. Mm. Or does the spirit have a beak? I don't know. I don't feel like the spirit has a beak. I mean, but is that like a biblical I mystery? I don't know. It is. Okay. <laughs> Good comparisons, good contrast. I'll just keep it going here. What what uh, what passage did you all look at? Acts two. A- Acts two. Verse three. Verse three. Go ahead. 
And there appeared unto them cloven tongues, like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. Okay, so the the, the spirit coming in uh, as uh, uh, cloven tongues, like as of fire. So, what were some, some of the similarities? <laughs> so, yeah, so, so a cloven tongue, meaning a, a tongue that has is split or has, uh, you know, it's not just solid, it's split, it's cloven. Right. Uh, and then that image of that would be similar or can look like fire. Fire has that image of splitting little uh, pieces Fingers of, of fire. fire. Fingers yeah. of yeah. fire, right. Okay. And it breaks down, though. I mean, this was happening with them while they were, if you look at a couple of verses before, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them the cloven tongues like as a fire and sat upon each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began speaking in tongues. So it breaks down in that the image of the fire and the cloven tongues would have been a unique imagery or something they're seeing, but then being filled with the Holy Spirit couldn't be defined as seeing fire and tongues, you know, that that God's Spirit going into them would be much more than that. It's, you know, it goes beyond that image for sure. Yeah, good. And obviously it didn't burn them. I mean, it isn't actual fire. It's like as fire, right? Okay, good. Good. What group, what'd you guys do here in this group? Three. I'm sorry? Three. You guys credit? No. We don't have time for three. Oh, okay. All right. Pick your favorite child. Yes. I don't have a favorite child. All of them are equal and amazing to me. <laughs> All right, so Matthew 18, 3 through 5. So Matthew uh, written to the Jews, right? Presenting Jesus as king of the Jews, right? All right, so try and keep that in mind so I don't do anything. So Matthew, we'll start. It says, At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child, my name receiveth me. All right, so we saw comparing... Uh, disciples being grown men to little children, so like a physical aspect, or talking about how they approach. Uh, they're similar in the ways that they're both humans, everyone's a sinner, and you need Christ. The similarity will probably start to break down because we're not called to be little children. We look at Hebrews 5.12, you're not called to be a baby, you need to grow and have meat. Yeah. yeah. Okay, good. So, and, and so there's certain things you can pull out of the child illustration, right? That you need to approach things simply and in faith, those sorts of things. But that there's others that it doesn't, like Nicodemus, you're not trying to reverse time and be a kid that doesn't understand things, right? There's certain aspects of it that apply and certain that don't. Okay. We, we did um, the wheat and tares. So in Matthew 13, it says, Another parable he put forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which soweth good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. So we compared the wheat and the tares, and um, we had a lot of similarities. You guys want to? Uh, what are they compared, the wheat and the tares? They both grow, they both need water, they both look extremely similar. Um, uh, 
grow in the same conditions. Same conditions, same environment. Okay. Yeah. Okay. They, they look similar. What are some of the differences? One's beneficial, one's not for right. food or nutrition. Yeah. One's controllable, the other one kind of does its own thing, grows where it wants. Okay. One is gathered, one is burned. Okay. Good. And one thing we noticed was that the, the tear was the overtaker mm -hmm. to the wheat. Right. So the wheat, wheat is going to be a little more passive. The tear is going to be a little more aggressive, for lack of better terms. Okay, good. Okay. okay. What do we got here? We did Proverbs 25.11. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. Apples of gold and pictures of silver. Okay. So compared are the word fitly spoken to the apples of gold. Um, similar that they um, are both sweet um, and beautiful. Because the words spoken at the right time, right words, um, can be sweet and beautiful to the hearer. Um, and then breaking down, one is um, spoken versus one is a visual. Right. It's, so, a, it's a tangible a thing. Tangible. Right. But I would argue that they both could be refreshing. I One time yeah. I was uh, I was doing some heavy, some reasonably heavy work in sub-Sahara Africa on a mission trip. And we had water, but when we got done and we came back... They had fruit forests. They had apples and oranges, and they were super refreshing. Like to take a little bit of food in, to take those sugars in, and having some some juices in them were very refreshing. So, mm -hmm. words that are fitly spoken could be refreshing. Good, awesome, good stuff. What do we have here? Do we have a group of more than four? <gasps> we we could actually break it in half. We have it. I think we had two. I think we had two. Two. Yeah, we had. We had a larger group, but we had two examples. Okay, go. Um, I started out with Deuteronomy thirty-three seventeen. Um, his glory is like the firstling of his bullock. And why we picked this out is because next, and his horns are like the horns of unicorns. Wow. <laughs> with them thou shalt push the people together to the ends of the earth, and they are ten thousand of Ephraim, and they are thousands of um, Manasseh. 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 Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I just went with the first comparison yeah, yeah. because there wasn't much on unicorns other than that. <laughs> so, um, I, I, I assume it was talking about the the glory of the Lord. And so, that just, in giving a, a definition, is... So it seems similar to the Holy Spirit prior to mm -hmm. to Jesus' death and resurrection, because there's many references that it'll appear in a cloud or and filled the tabernacle, and um, so the glory of the Lord compared to the firstling of His bullock is they're similar in purity, and um, then they both represent a sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And in Numbers eighteen seventeen, it also references that um, the firstling is is a holy thing. Hmm. Interesting. So impressive. Like I would have, I would have gone with like as a deer panted for the water. So my soul. <laughs> like this is this is pretty deep, yeah. doctor. There's a lot of doctrine here. We, we, again, we don't have time to get into it. But the glory of the Lord being like a firstling of a bullock that's sacrificed is 
is a pretty deep concept. And to pull out... Probably. No, no, no. That's, that's all good. That's all good. But being pure, the sacrifice, and holy, I think are very, very reasonable uh, co- uh, comparisons. And obviously, the glory... And I, I'm, I'm just going to try to keep this moving. The difference is they're clearly different. One's a kind of like the words and the and the apple. One's a, an animal and one's God, right? So there is a limitation. You wouldn't assume that God looks like a bull or a bullock because of that, you know, com- comparison. Each thing has its limitations. Is that fair? Or yeah, go? and I just thought uh, the first link can sustain you for a limited amount of time as meat, but then the glory of the Lord or is perpetual, is everlasting. Yeah, amen. Wow. Next week, Paul's teaching for Easter. Okay, so there was another one over here, I think. Do you want it? Yeah. It's all good. I did uh, 2 Corinthians 7.10. 2 Corinthians 7.10. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Okay. So godly sorrow. So this is interesting because it doesn't actually have the word like or as, but the sentence structure makes a comparison. So, yeah, good. So uh, the two things that are compared are godly sorrow versus worldly sorrow, and they're similar. They're, they're sorrow. sorrow, right? They're similar in that they're both sorrow, right? And they break down where godly sorrow brings repentance and salvation without regret, whereas worldly sorrow only brings regret and death. Amen. Yeah, the good. That's very good. Again, uh, I think I've just worked myself out of a job. Um, all right, so now go ahead and get back in your in your lines, I guess. Yeah, move your chairs. Get back in line. So I, I was encouraged, I was challenged this week. I, actually, I take that back. Time, time flies last week to, to try to do more of these kinds of, of activities. So hopefully you like them. They won't, they won't uh, be the preponderance of what we do, but they will be an aspect of what we do. Um, so so that all good all good stuff. Really impressed. So why a mustard seed in the remaining time? Why did Jesus choose to liken the kingdom of God to a mustard seed? So the first thing we're going to have to do, and like this is a whole few classes in LFBI, so we're just going to touch the very skim the surface of this. You have to understand that there's a difference between the kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven. Amen. This is a big deal in Scripture. Most people don't. They they assume because Jesus um, talks about them both similarly and in similar ways, and talks about them even like this very parable in Matthew 13. He says another parable put he forth unto them, saying, "The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed." It's literally the same concept. I'm choosing to believe that the difference in Scripture is for a purpose in Matthew. He talks about it being the kingdom of heaven being likened into a mustard seed. In Mark 30, our, our passage, he likens the kingdom of God being compared to a mustard seed. 
So we need to take a, a moment here and understand that the kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven are in fact different. There is more on your paper than is on the screen. You, we will not cover it all, but the f- kingdom of heaven is a very physical kingdom. It was promised in Genesis, and the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. There are times when the kingdoms are together, there's times when they're split, and there's a time when they will come back together, which is why some people get them intermingled and confused. Now, the kingdom of heaven is only mentioned in the book of Matthew. Uh, Nathan actually already mentioned that has to do with the focus uh, on the Jew. It's a very physical, very earthly-based kingdom. Whereas the kingdom of God is mentioned in all of the Gospels, the book of Acts, and five of the Pauline epistles, which are written to the church. It's a much broader concept, certainly for us. The Matthew 11 references that the kingdom of heaven will suffer violence. Well, kingdom of God is not of this world, according to 1 Corinthians. Um, in, in 4, it's the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. In 15, that flesh and blood cannot in- inherit the kingdom of God. They're clearly two different things. When you keep the kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven separate, your Bible will line up. Okay? I don't have time to go into much more than that, but the covenant was for a land in, in the kingdom of heaven, and it's for souls in the kingdom of God. Are there souls in the land in the future? Yes, the kingdoms come back together. So in our current state, look at ver, uh, Acts chapter uh, 1, verse 6 through 8, and then when they therefore were come together, they, the disciples, asked him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel, physical kingdom of heaven focus, and he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons when the kingdom will come, which happens in the millennium, when the Lord returns, not in the rapture, but his return that's that's clearly uh, laid out in the book of Revelation, which the Father hath put in his own power. But... In the meantime, until then, ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me in both Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the other most part of the world. Until that time that the kingdom comes to earth, the kingdom of heaven comes to earth, we're going to continue to propagate the kingdom of, of God. And then the future state, the kingdoms of this world in Revelation 11.15 are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God come back together and move forward. So why does he use this mustard seed illustration? Right? So the mustard seed is one small seed from a very humble beginning. Very humble beginning. So I, I didn't realize I was going to have to have three times what you guys pass stuff out, but here you go. So I'm going to keep one, just one. I have taken critical time. I took 15 whole minutes out of my schedule and taped a mustard seed to an index card and then cut them apart so you could see how small a mustard seed really is. I went to hy V and bought these mustard seeds for $1.79. 
only to find out we had some in the, in the spice cupboard. <laughs> Sometimes we're not the best with, with many choices around a house, but it was only a 179. Uh, the reason I even bring that up was the ones that I got out of our spice rack were actually even smaller than this, these ones. Yeah. So he likens the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven to this little thing. So the eastern, Middle Eastern mustard tree reaches a height of about 25 feet and it's considered an evergreen shrub and it can be as wide as it is tall. The branches come off low and are commonly hang to the ground in a large skirt, which make places for animals to take rest. The young oval leaves are dark green in color and lighten with age. The trunk of the tree is upright and crooked and rarely over one foot in diameter. So it's not the greatest of all trees, but it is the greatest of the herbs. The white bark appears cracked. It can be used for... Now, now this is interesting. I did not know this before yesterday. It's not the same seeds used to make the condiment mustard, uh, but it is highly valued as a mild, has having a mild and spicy flavor. You, I guess, could try to take it out and cut it and eat it. The various types of mustard tree seeds are used to, f to flavor pickles, deviled eggs, baked beans, and succotash. They're considered the smallest seed in the world. The additional uses include a source of oil, varnish, uh, firewood and soft timber for the tree, soil stabilization, they actually use it to treat the soil and, and for med medicinal purposes. So this little seed has enough DNA in it that is replicated to make a whole tree, all aspects of the tree, the root, the trunk, the branches, the leaves, the future seeds and fruit that uh, I think there's even... Um, they, they, they even refer to it as a toothbrush tree because you can cut off young branches and they would people used to chew on them to clean their to clean their teeth back in the day. All sorts of all sorts of function come from the DNA that's found in this little seed. So why does Jesus use that? Well, he had a humble beginning. Look in Luke 2. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Like, the kingdom of heaven, which could have been a very real thing if the Jews would have accepted Christ as the Messiah, had a humble beginning. Not as this sword-wielding, you know, I'm taking down the, the politicalness. The kingdom of God had a very humble beginning in the person of Jesus. And it's a, a tree greater than other, all the herbs providing rest. Notice in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 9 and 10, For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, and as waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. Literally, he is saying, he's actually pointing to himself as this humble, simple mustard seed. Again, different than the mustard seed of faith. And so why does he do it in both Matthew and Mark? Well, it's because two kingdoms arrive in the one person. He is going to bring the kingdom of heaven, the physical kingdom back, when he comes riding the white horse with his name written on his thigh, right? Wielding a sword. I mean, he's coming back. 
and the kingdom of heaven will absolutely be established. He will sit on a physical throne in Jerusalem. It's an, a tangible in the person of Jesus. But it started as a mustard seed. It didn't start with an army. It started as a mustard seed. The same with the kingdom of God. There's millions of people that are in the church today. People that are saved. right? Millions of people that have been saved through history started with a very humble, very simple beginning. Two kingdoms in one person. And that brings us to our last point, principles from the seeds. And I'll wrap up. We're just a little bit behind schedule, so I apologize. What must the seed do? It must first die. Right? John 12, 24. Verily, verily, I send you, except a corn of wheat, or the seed, fall to the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die goes into the ground, it bringeth forth much fruit. It's interesting because I've heard tell that one kernel of corn, now I'm talking corn, it's a little bit different than than this, but one kernel of corn can create another stalk of corn that has hundreds of kernels of corn on it, right? So you've probably at some point encountered people that talk about, well, if you could just win two people to Christ every year, how quickly the church multiplies. Well, let's not, do, let's not forget that how quickly how one kernel of corn can turn into a whole acre of corn in just a couple of generations. And a whole acre of corn can turn into a whole region of corn in a couple of generations. So, so, so the seed must first die. It has to go into the ground. And what it looks like now is not what it will be. He start, but the DNA for the mustard seed tree sits right here. Just like the DNA for the physical kingdom and the spiritual kingdom reside in the person of Jesus Christ. The spiritual DNA that we all take part in, we are the sons of God when we become saved. When we get saved, we enter into the family. We get his DNA. Thou fool, that which um, thou sowest is not quickened except it die. Lesson again. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be. You don't plant a a tree in the ground hoping a tree grows. You plant a seed. But bear grain that it may be chance of wheat or of some other grain. But it giveth it a body as it hath pleased him and to every seed his own body. We don't know exactly what's going to happen when we invest in someone's life. When we put them, when we invest in their lives, do not get, it, do not get yourself in the habit of thinking, I wonder what this person could do with the Lord. Don't do it. Everybody has the DNA of the kingdom of God in them and the ability to start as a very humble beginning themselves and turn into something glorious for the Lord. All of this from a simple seed. A simple seed. So I just encourage you as we're over time, plant seeds. Sow seeds. We know the word of God is the seed that I'm talking about here. Right? I mean, sure, you can try to peel this off and, and probably plant this in a cup and you might get a mustard tree or bush someday. More power to you. I don't know if they're treated for purposes of eating, if you, if you just go out and plant this, if it'll even do anything. I don't know. But the illustration is very, very clear. Just plant the seed, take care of it, water it, watch it grow, tend to it, and it will turn into something beautiful. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, the lesson, not 
the lesson that I prepared, but we thank you for the fact that you likened the kingdom of God, you likened the kingdom of heaven to a simple mustard seed. And yes, there's practical and devotional applications that we can take with respect to our faith, but more importantly, maybe, I, I would argue more importantly, the fact that we can trust that the work that you did, the work you started for the kingdom of God, coming here as a simple, humble infant, um, started an amazing, uh, amazing movement. And Lord, I know we, we see that kind of as a negative connotation of movement, but Lord, it is something that's trickled down even all of these thou- couple thousand years to, to us even here today. And, and I just pray for anybody that doesn't know you as Savior, that they would understand their need today, that they would understand from the message that Sam preached that they can't do it of their own accord, that they understand from the message of the mustard seed that that it's it's not magic. I mean, we know the the biology or the uh, whatever that goes into seeds and how they split and replicate. It's not magic, but we can't control it. <laughs> it comes from you. So, Lord, just do your work in our lives today. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I apologize. I'm a little over, especially for those of you who need to to catch a ride. Have a great day in the Lord. Happy Passion Week. We'll see you on Resurrection Sunday, if not before.